0: Welcome to to Source Materials Spook Spectacular. Spectacular. What's your favorite Halloween movie?
1: That's a really hard one. It's like Beetlejuice, Hocus Pocus, Practical Magic. You throw on Halloween Town for nostalgia. Silence of the Lambs Mm -hmm. is also definitely one of them. Um I don't know, I watch like the same four on repeat. Yeah. All month. I wish I branched out. I think there's like a a 31 and 31 where people will watch 31 um
0: a movie a day. Um
1: a, like a, a scary movie a day. I have a coworker who does that every holiday. There's Halloween. something
0: about uh, about holidays for me that's like with the tradition that yeah. I I, like, I kind of like doing the same thing.
1: Yeah. I guess I'm a creature of habit, I guess
0: for Halloween's not really one that I have that with though. I don't know. I was never a big Halloween person. I love, I like Halloween. I like fall. I love it. It's not like,
1: I like scary movies. I just don't branch out during the Halloween season. I don't know why. Like other times I will, but that's fair. Maybe I need to change that. I don't know.
0: I like the shining.
1: Ooh, I haven't seen the end of that one, but it is very good. Great
0: movie. Um, (laughs) The assassination of Jesse James with the coward Robert Ford's another one. That I always watch around Halloween.
1: I was gonna say not. I wouldn't classify that. It's it my is, fall movie. It's your fall movie. Okay. I only
0: watch it in the fall. I watch sense. it like two or three times. Well,
1: that that makes sense. Which is a lot because that movie's like what almost three hours long.
0: Yeah, but it's amazing.
1: Yeah, that's pa- uh, Paul. Was that Paul Anderson?
0: Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul Thomas Anderson. No, oh. I don't remember the name of that director.
1: Do you know Paul Thomas Anderson is married to Maya Rudolph?
0: I did not know that. They
1: got a shit ton of kids. Yeah. Oh. I just saw that she was talking oh. about her husband. And Little
0: preview. Like, I'll be talk- actually be talking about Paul Thomas Anderson in this episode. Oh, well, here, so.
1: see, look, it's premonition. Yeah. A spirit spoke to me and I knew.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome back to Source Material.
1: Welcome, welcome.
0: I, as always, am Jared Ballou here with Marissa Gall. Hello. And today we're going to be discussing the uh, horror classic- Silence yes. of the Lambs.
1: Yes, it's definitely like made a huge mark on the the literary world, the cinematic world. I mean, it's kind of
0: yeah. I, I, I actually don't know too much about the book, other than I mean, having read it, I know yeah the story, but I don't know anything surrounding it.
1: So well, let's, let's dive in. into that. Yeah, I'll get into the tid's
0: a little bit. We'll save the
1: bits for you. <laughs> the glare.
0: I still I'm not, I'm not into it. I don't know. I'm not letting it go. That's fine.
1: I'm not letting it go. You'll just have to grin and bear it. So this book is written by Thomas Harris II. And he was born September twenty second, nineteen forty, in Jackson, Tennessee. But he moved to Mississippi and grew up there. So he's a he's a charming southern boy. And he received his BA in English from Baylor University a fellow English major of mine, so I appreciate that. And uh, while he was in college, he worked as a reporter for the Waco Tribune Herald. In 1968, he ended up moving to New York to work for the Associated Press until he began writing his very first book, Black Sunday, in 1974. So he focused mainly on reporting and story writing for uh, newspapers, magazines, things like that in his early career. Um, there is not a lot known about Harris because he has only granted one interview between 1976 and this year.
0: Is he still alive?
1: He's still alive. He has a book that came wow. out this so year. So that's like,
0: uh,
1: he's, it was very, um, um, Harper Lee
0: or, um, who's the guy who wrote Catcher in the Rye?
1: Oh, I have the book on the shelf. Right I don't remember his name,
0: but I, th- I feel like he also is one of those authors that fuck, doesn't, it doesn't matter.
1: Right. But he, he's just a very private person. He, um, like I said, hasn't really given any interviews until this year because he has a new book coming out, Carrie Mora. So it's another, uh, kind of suspense thriller
0: horror book. When was his last book?
1: Um, that's a, it would have been Hannibal rising in 2006. So there's a 13 year gap between his, and that was in the, the, um, kind of series of Hannibal and this is a new story gotcha completely so his first kind of original writing in a little bit that's not connected to Hannibal Lecter um, he was married in 1961 to Harriet Haley and together they have a daughter Elizabeth but they divorced in 1968 before he moved to New York um, as far as I know he has a long-term partner but never been remarried, Um, but he is known to have been very close with his mother, Polly, who he called every night until she passed away in 2011, often discussing his work with her, Hmm. which I find very sweet. Um, As far as we know, he lives currently in Florida, has a summer home in Sag Harbor, New York. And for some insight into kind of his personality, his literary agent, Morton Janklow. One of my new favorite names to <laughs> exist in the universe describes him as he's one of the good guys. He is big, bearded, and wonderfully jovial. If you met him, you'd think he was a choir master. He loves cooking. He's done the like cordon blue exams. It's a great mm-hmm. fun to sit with him in the kitchen while he prepares a meal and see that he's as happy as a clam. He has old-fashioned manners, a courtliness you associate with the South. So he seems like, like a year round Santa Claus yeah. who loves to cook French cuisine. I would love to meet him. You can look up pictures of him. He looks, he's
0: got like a, a, a nice, just values his personal life. Which yeah. I, he I values his that.
1: personal life and his yeah. privacy. And I think he focuses on judge my writing for my writing, not for, you know, my name recognition. Right. So he, like I said, he gave his first interview in 43 years to the New York Times to promote his book, Carrie Mora. And he described himself as a nature lover and longtime visitor and volunteer of the Pelican Harbor Seabird Station and Animal Rescue Center in Florida.
0: He didn't do any interviews when the
1: movie came out? I don't, not that I have seen, no. Wow. And he describes fame as a, as more of a nuisance than anything else. So.
0: So that was probably pretty deliberate then.
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh yes, very deliberate. I think like you said, he enjoys a quieter his prophecy, life. Yeah. yeah. So his works include Black Sunday, his first book that he started writing in 1974, Red Dragon, the first in the series of Hannibal Lecter in 1981, Silence of the Lambs, 1988, Hannibal in 1999. So we have an 11-year gap there. Yeah. And Hannibal rising in 2006 and then Carrie Mora, which came out in May of this year.
0: So most of his books were Hannibal Lecter, the majority. Uh, yeah. Hannibal Lecter, Lecter series.
1: Yeah. His first and his most latest are separate stories. Yeah. So the publication, like I said, um, came out in 1988, May 19th, exactly, um, by St. Martin's press. So it is the sequel to red dragon. Um, and the novel one, the 1988 Brom Stoker Award for Best Novel. It also won the 1989 Anthony Award for Best Novel, and it was nominated for the 1989 World Fantasy Award, and it was received wildly well by critics and readers alike. Just really, really well received. And I'm just gonna get into a short synopsis of the book plot. We're obviously gonna dive deeper into the differences when we get into the comparison of this. But there are a lot of moving parts, a lot of characters, a lot of villains, a lot of heroes. So this is kind of as condensed as I could make it. So this novel pits Hannibal Lecter up against Clary Starling, an FBI cadet working under Jack Crawford of the Behavioral Science Unit at the FBI. Together, they hope to glean information from Lecter about a at-large serial killer nicknamed Buffalo Bill, whose MO is killing larger women and skinning them. As the case progresses, Starling is asked to help in the Buffalo Bill case, being one of the few people Lecter will talk to. When a senator's daughter is taken by Bill, the case swings into full motion, causing panic and pleas and bargaining with Lecter that leads to his escape and false information he gave to the senator for fun that leads the authorities down the wrong track. However, Clarice continues working on the leads she received from Lecter, leading her straight to Buffalo Bill, really named Jame gum in time to save the Senator's daughter, single-handedly killing Buffalo Bill in the process. Yeah. That's kind of the very condensed version. There's a lot more moving parts, um, but that's kind of the, the main players in this.
0: And there's also some of the other big characters are, um, Dr. Chilton, who is the head of the, um, the hospital or insane asylum. I don't
1: it's a prison that has a, an asylum ward.
0: Yeah. That, um, Hannibal Lecter is housed in at the beginning of the book and yeah. he's kind of an egomaniac who, um, kind of wants to, get recognition and fame off the back of Hannibal, Hannibal Lecter, basically.
1: Yeah. He's a catalyst for what will become Hannibal's uh, escape. And like I said, we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into the, the kind of step by step point by point plot when we get into the movie. Mm -hmm. But overall, I really, really enjoyed the book. It's a long one. It's 338 pages. Um
0: it it goes by But it goes quick.
1: fast. The chapters are very short, so like don't be daunted by the fact that there's 61 chapters yeah. in it, but it goes very quick and every chapter you're learning new information. It's not a ton of filler, but um
0: Yeah, it it's, goes pretty quick. It's a really good book and I think yeah, it's a really good thriller. And
1: it's interesting because you don't necessarily need to read Red Dragon before no, you read it. No, no, it.
0: definitely not. I mean they hint at certain things from Red Dragon that I know from um, watching, like, there's the Hannibal TV show, which I would recommend, mm-hmm. highly recommend. That's really, really good. Um, so I knew some of the characters that they brought up from that, but yeah, you certainly don't need to read Red Dragon before you read South Yeah, of the which is
1: interesting. And I think it's nice to know that you can kind of
0: hop into this book. Well, and that's how they did the movies too. They did. Yeah. They came out with the red dragon movie, but it was after. Silence yeah. Of the so lambs. the
1: silence of the lambs was the first movie adaptation in this series. Yeah. But that's kind of all I have. Like I said, because, um, Harris kind of respects his privacy. There's not, there's not a ton to go off of, but yeah,
0: we should try to get an interview. You'd be the, sec- <laughs> the second one in forty-eight years, whatever it was.
1: Would you come on our podcast? <laughs> but like being able to say, "Hey, not that many people are exactly. listening." Like, uh, the there's thing. nothing to be afraid of. Yeah,
0: you go to the New York Times. Yeah, have a lot more people. On, you know, exactly.
1: You know what? I guarantee you he's not on any social media. Probably. Probably. <laughs> there's no way.
0: All right, so let's uh, dig into the movie a little bit now. Yes. Um, some interesting stuff in here.
1: I'm sure I can see your list of notes.
0: Yeah, I always have a much longer list than I intend to, but there's <laughs> usually there's usually some a lot of interesting things. Yeah. When I, when I dig into some of this stuff, um, I'm
1: excited. Teach me.
0: So this movie came out in 1991. So we're coming up on 30 years it's older than i old. thought why it came out I before you were be, born i
1: know but like only like a couple years like yeah. we're still 90s kids
0: that's fair um it was directed by jonathan dem and Dem. d-e-m-m-e Thanks. i'm assuming that's how you pronounce it i didn't look it up
1: demay it could be demay i don't know why he gave that like an italian English, spin. so
0: like, like from the uk said he was born in the uk he went to school in florida i don't know <laughs> Didn't, there wasn't a lot in his personal Why life. Why would
1: he go to Florida? I
0: assumed I assume they moved there because it's. Yeah. But okay. I don't know. There wasn't a lot in his personal life, so okay. Um, screenplay was by Ted Tally. Love stars, and alliteration. Yeah, it stars Jodie Foster as Clarice Starling, mm-hmm. Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter, Scott Glenn as Jack Crawford, Ted Levine as James Gum, aka Buffalo Bill, and Anthony Held. As Dr. Frederick Chilton.
1: So two Anthony's.
0: Yes. Hmm. One much more famous than the other.
1: Yes. But Anthony held, I recognize his face and he plays kind of that, that egotistical asshole very well. He
0: does do a very good job of that. He
1: does a very good slimy, slimy man.
0: Um, so digging into the director a little bit more, Jonathan Dem. um, He's kind of—I uh, would say this is arguably his biggest movie. The only other one that I—I I saw in there that I know about is the Philadelphia. He did that movie with Tom Hanks.
1: No, never idea. seen it, but
0: I've heard of it. Never seen never it.
1: Never heard of it.
0: Um, I know that one is was well known at the time. He also did Rachel getting married. He also did two thousand four's Manchurian Candidate, so not the original, but the remake.
1: Is it sad that like? I know of that, the name of that movie because there's a Bob's burger episode called the Millie candidate. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> My priorities lie in Fox animation.
0: Um, the last movies he, he died in 2017. His last movies mm. that he made before that were Ricky and the flash starring Meryl Streep.
1: Yes. That's that. Yep. I remember that.
0: And, um, he did also directed, he did some documentaries, but he did, the Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee Kids special for Netflix. Okay, It's kind of a random one, but uh, I mean, so he he cool. he did a lot of different things, some rom coms, um, Justin Timberlake specials. You he know, made of the Lambs. St- he <laughs>
1: made <laughs> Meryl Streep into like an aging punk rocker. <laughs> yeah, and Ricky in the Flash.
0: Um, so he was pretty eclectic. Um, interestingly, Paul Thomas Anderson has credited. Dem's work as some of his biggest influences on his directorial style.
1: So Paul Thomas Anderson is a fan, huge fan of Dem,
0: and, and yeah, and says he his
1: work influences huge
0: influence on his work.
1: That is strange. I haven't seen a ton,
0: yeah, of Anderson's and work. Wes Anderson is another one who said that too.
1: What is up Both with the Anderson. Andersons?
0: Um, and part of that is because he was. He was known for his close-up scenes, that's which for is sure. very evident in in Silence of the Lambs, and kind of putting you in the character's shoes a little bit more.
1: Yeah, like the perspective of yeah. like you're talking.
0: And I've got to, to go back character. and rewatch some of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies and see if that's kind of what he's. I mean, I can see
1: in Wes Anderson, I can see that because he loves very symmetrical, straight-on shots. Like I can see yeah. maybe that being an influence, but
0: those are two of my favorite directors. So I need, I feel like now I need to go watch more of, um, yeah. Dem's movies.
1: Rachel getting married is great. Um, Ricky and the flash I haven't seen, but that one seems kind of out like a little,
0: yeah. He also, like he started part. his career in, in like the late sixties, early seventies doing exploitation films. Mm. So he's got a, like I said, a pretty varied past very varied, um, filmography yeah so this movie actually was originally set to be directed and star gene hackman he was going to star as jack crawford and direct the movie
1: gene hackman
0: you don't know who gene no hackman i know is? i'm
1: trying to see his face in my mind's eye hoosiers
0: the royal tenenbaums
1: oh he's the dad yeah oh okay see i just gene needed hackman. his face
0: um, Honestly,
1: he would, he would have been a good Jack Crawford. I
0: can't believe you don't,
1: I, I know can't Gene, that was an instant. I know Gene Hackman. Um, don't judge.
0: <laughs> he obviously eventually dropped out and then the production company Orion brought um, Dem in mm-hmm. and uh, he dropped out, I guess, because he thought the script was too violent. It's really, why would you sign on in the first place? If you, he obviously had never read the book because it's, it's pretty similar to the book. It's, it's, yeah. it's just as violent as the book. Um, so that's a little bit on, on, uh, them. Let's move into Ted Talley, the screenwriter. Yeah. This is by far his biggest movie. Um,
1: yeah, I feel like it'd be anybody's.
0: The only other screenplay, like of any movie that I, the only other screenplay he wrote that I recognized was red dragon, which is the,
1: the sequel prequel,
0: the sequel prequel that came out in 2002. But Actually, there was a movie in the middle. They made Hannibal mm-hmm. second that came out in 2001.
1: Yeah. Which he, directly follows Silence yeah, of the Lambs, right?
0: Correct. And him and Dem decided not to work on that movie because they didn't like the book. Oh, hot and, take. And um, apparently Harris was was not happy that they were trying to make changes to the story. Mm-hmm. So they said, we're just not going to do it. I mean... But yeah, I guess they, they just didn't like the material. So they were just like, we're not going to do it.
1: There is a respect that like the author didn't want them to make changes. And they just said, okay, we'll walk yeah. away from it. I mean,
0: um, but he did write red dragon a, for the movie that came out a year later. Um, he also was a story consultant on Shrek two and Madagascar. <laughs> Weirdly enough, those are like his other two movies that I recognized. So what? yeah, I make, I don't, I don't understand that uh, career move. He hasn't really done much. since. I think he had wrote one movie that came out last year, but I had never heard of it.
1: Wow. Um, Okay. So he,
0: this is like his big thing that he did. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But he had actually was a big fan of the book and had been wanting to adapt it since he first read it. Apparently actually Thomas Harris gave him an advanced copy personally. Of Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. He read it and wanted to adapt it after he read it. So
1: because was he like a fan of red dragon
0: uh, it didn't go in what my, I didn't see anything yeah. about that, but he must've known him on some level. Yeah. Like you said, he's pretty private, I guess. So there's not a lot of he information. Really is. Um,
1: I respect it,
0: but both Jonathan Dem and Ted Talley won Oscars for this whoop whoop. Jonathan Dem won for best director, obviously. Yes. And Ted Talley won for best adapted screenplay.
1: Yes. Good. Um, it was, it, I think it was adapted decently. Well,
0: yeah. As far as the cast goes, um, there's some interesting stuff about the the history of the casting for this movie. Mm. Um, Jodie Foster wanted to play the role of Clarice Starling after she read the book originally, um, but Jonathan Demme wasn't convinced by her. He didn't he didn't like her for the role. Say, she's
1: pretty young too, isn't she, when she took on the role?
0: Uh yeah, she was she would have been mid twenties. Yeah. But Clarice Starling is supposed no, to be No, she's young very well. young.
1: I'm just saying she's I don't know if she was as established as maybe some other people they were looking into for yeah. that role.
0: Well they originally wanted he originally wanted Michelle Pfeiffer no, Meg Ryan. No, who both turned down the role because of the subject. That's matter. correct. So just like Gene Hackman, they said, this is way too violent for us. We're not going to do it.
1: I'm sorry. Like, I don't think either of them would have been a good fit.
0: I don't think they would have been as good as Jodie Foster. No. Now. Um, He also thought about Laura Dern, but that was vetoed by the studio who thought she didn't have as much of a like a box office appeal.
1: Now, Laura Dern is fucking blowing up. Yeah, I think I on I think. I could see Laura Dern in that role a little bit.
0: Um, so Jodie Foster eventually eventually got the role. Um, see? she made a she vision not, board. She was far from first choice though.
1: Right. But, but you she know she really, what? really
0: wanted the role. Um, she so had I the think, passion. Yeah. Um, this, this would have been a terrible casting choice. So for the role of Hannibal Lecter, they, they originally approached Sean Connery. No, I just can't see Sean Connery as anything other than James Bond. And he also was originally approached for Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. Like, who are these casting directors that, I don't know, I just can't see either of those.
1: Hannibal is such an interesting character because he's violent, but he's also very composed yeah. and kind of quiet yeah. and eerie. And Sean Connery to me is just I very, just feel like his he,
0: accent would have not worked for, the, for that role. I don't know.
1: Well, and it, him trying to cover it probably wouldn't have worked well.
0: Yeah, and I can't think of any movie where Sean Connery's- I mean, maybe there is, I don't, he plays,
1: there is one, I will, I I know of one, but he plays a shut in.
0: I just can't see him being menacing. Maybe he has in another movie that I haven't seen, but it's just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it would fit to me.
1: And he does have that James Bond attached to him. So people would be like James Bond. I'm a big
0: Bond fan. So I just, I just always see him as James Bond, but, um, they also were considering Al Pacino Robert mm. De Niro, Dustin mm. Hoffman, and Daniel Day Lewis, which I thought would have been actually a really interesting. Daniel Day Lewis, his method acting for this movie might have been a little mm, bit of, a little bit much. He
1: would just be eating liver, yeah, all the time. I think Daniel Day Lewis,
0: he I, would have been really interesting. I think
1: he would have done, but I think he might have been a little young
0: at Prob- that time. Probably, I think yeah. he probably
1: would have been probably. a little young. I I wholeheartedly support Anthony Hopkins in that role.
0: Yeah, no, he, I, he was great. Um, he did a great job. I don't think he's my favorite Hannibal, actually.
1: He's I, the only one I've encountered. I haven't watched Mads. Yeah, that, Mads I think Mikkelson Mads
0: Mickelson was my is my favorite. Portrayal I'll have to watch that Hannibal show. Lecter, but he did very well. Though. Well, and like, he's playing a really, younger. I still really like it, but
1: Mads is playing like a younger Hannibal. It seems like, or
0: yeah, that that show kind of starts with Red Dragon, the Red Dragon storyline. Right? Okay, so it would be a little bit younger. It would
1: be a little different. Yeah. I want to watch it for sure.
0: Um, so. This is not the first movie made Hannibal Lecter movie made. There was a movie in 1986 that came out called Manhunter that was based off the book Red Dragon. Oh, okay. But it made no money and didn't get great critical reception. (laughs) But because of that, they had to go out and get the rights to the name Hannibal Lecter because the producer of that Manhunter movie Uh had it. And
1: just the name.
0: Yeah, I, I, that's just the name, I guess. So they bought, like, the because character they, they rights? Had, right, because they had the rights to the book. Yeah. But they didn't have the rights to the name Hannibal Lecter.
1: So, oh, okay. I don't know
0: how that works. That's very I'm, odd. I'm a, yeah.
1: That's because usually if you buy the story, you, you have, you know, that's interesting. Yeah, there
0: must have been some... I don't know, some provision when, when he made that movie that he got the rights to the name yeah. somehow. It'd be, I, I don't know exactly how that works, but...
1: It'd be interesting to do, like, some episodes diving into, like, yeah. this process a little bit because it's, like, kind of mind-boggling yeah. to me. Yeah.
0: Um, but because Manhunter made no money, he was just like, you guys can have it for free. <laughs> so he loaned it to them for free. He
1: could have made money on it by selling he it. He could have made
0: so much money, yeah. God,
1: he's a fucking idiot. But...
0: <laughs> Uh, he did the nice thing. I mean,
1: it's nice, but but
0: at the same time, he's probably now, he
1: could have recouped probably the money. He was thinking
0: back afterwards, like shit, I could have made, could have made so much money off this. He could
1: have recouped the money from like producing a film yeah. that made no money. Yeah. Like business, like it's a kind thing to do. Business wise, maybe not the most intelligent. Right.
0: So in the movie, that iconic mask that Hannibal wears, the hockey mask. Yeah. It was made by a guy named Ed Cubberley. And, he made masks primarily for like NHL hockey goalies. And you can kind of nice. see that a little bit.
1: Well, isn't it in the book described as a hockey mask? I believe it is. They say he's got um, a hockey mask on. It might be. I'm pretty positive, but that hockey mask is the one in the movie is different. Cause it's not like the white painted hockey mask. It's the, it's kind of like that flesh colored with the bars over the mouth. And it's not, and it's not a full face mask.
0: Well, and I I guess I don't know exactly which mask they're talking about. It was probably that one.
1: I think it was probably. But there's also
0: that, like the full metal kind of mask they had on him when they're transporting him too.
1: the one where they're like cleaning his cell and they like strap him up in the straight jacket. Yeah. I think they
0: also, that's the one he's wearing when they transport him.
1: The one that squishes his nose. Tennessee. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But so I think it is the the more, the iconic, they said yeah. the iconic one. So it's yeah. going to be the, the one that's on the, all the covers and everything.
1: Yeah. But,
0: um, what
1: a great job.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: What a, what a fun it, transition. What a
0: random little, like oh, you're making masks for goalies and then you'd make a one for An one Im- of the most iconic villains in movie history.
1: And that, that image, you know, is to this day. Yeah. M- iconic and really memorable.
0: Um, so after Gene Hackman dropped out, Brad uh, brought on Scott Glenn to play him, and this I found very interesting. So Scott Glenn actually met with a guy at the FBI by the name of John Douglas, who was a profiler for the Behavioral Sciences Unit at the FBI. Okay. So he met with a profiler. He got a tour of Quantico, and then John Douglas had him listen to some tapes from the infamous what? tapes, and and I was doing some reading, like
1: about the Mindhunter tapes
0: yeah, I think these are some of them referenced in there of the toy, the the toy box killers. So this is like (gasps) the most notorious tape of being like ridiculously gruesome. God. And so it's it's, in the tape is of them basically raping and torturing a 16 year old girl. So it's really fucked up.
1: Wait. So the tape that he listened to was when the toy box killer recorded. Yes. This is
0: one they recorded of the actual torturing.
1: How did they do that?
0: I don't, what do you mean?
1: Did you mean the toy, the toy box, the killers? Toy box
0: killers themselves? I thought you're saying it.
1: the FBI recorders like, how, no. why the fuck they let that happen? They okay. have the tapes though. They have the, oh and, my God. And
0: apparently he started weeping. And, yeah. And they reportedly changed his mind on the death penalty. He was like a liberal and he was like, no, fuck that. <laughs> just kill these guys. Oh, so, and, and I've read about that tape and it is supposed to be, like horribly gruesome. Like anybody who listens to it is like mentally scarred because it's so bad. So
1: why would they show him that tape? What kind know. of fucking sabotage is that That
0: guy knew it was on the tape? Maybe he, maybe he asked to, I is that
1: know. like, is that like their fucking hazing initiation? We would like to make you weep and want your mother.
0: It put him in the mind of the behavioral sciences unit.
1: Did it though? That's, I don't know. That's kind of sick. It
0: probably, I think that's a little step too far, but
1: that like, he just wants information on how the, the but unit works. We don't know.
0: Maybe he asked about, maybe he asked, maybe
1: he it. did like, granted we're living in an era of true crime obsession, but. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'm scarred hearing about someone being scarred. Yeah. Listening to it.
0: Um, Filming for this was mostly done in Pittsburgh and other locations within Pennsylvania and West Virginia. So very much like where it's supposed to take place.
1: Yeah. Like Um, DC, Virginia. yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, and they actually, this is one of the few films that was actually, they were actually allowed to film at Quantico.
1: Oh, it was Quantico. Yeah.
0: And, and, weirdly they had, they actually had some FBI agents play like small little parts.
1: That's nice.
0: Within, throughout the film.
1: That's nice though. Like background characters.
0: Yeah. Like, like little, like just like guys who would have like a line or two who had like small interaction. Like that's cool. And, uh,
1: a touch of reality in there.
0: Yeah. So it was weird that the FBI, the FBI was like cool with it.
1: Yeah. Cause you're showing like, like you're, your home, like your home base, like yeah. I don't know. I thought that might be a security risk or something.
0: So the, some of the shots of Quantico are actually of, of Quantico. Quantico. All right. Yeah. Very cool. Um, Poster release reception was just like the book. It came out to critical acclaim. Mm-hmm. Um, it made two hundred seventy-three million dollars worldwide what? on a budget of nineteen. So two.
1: I feel like that's which like
0: which is crazy for a horror movie.
1: A horror movie
0: in the the 90s in the 90s especially one like like this kind of uh demonstrated by those actresses and gene hackman dropping out i mean it's pretty gruesome stuff for that time i mean i don't know the early 90s I feel like there maybe wasn't as much.
1: I mean, we had like Scream, but that was
0: no. That's I guess that's not true because there was like Night of the Living Dead and all that stuff way before that. This so. was,
1: but this one was I think sold as more like a psychological thriller. Yeah. So maybe people were a little more comfortable seeing something that wasn't sold as like Night of the Living Dead is like gore and right, that's true um, things like that. But granted, this movie gets gory. Yeah, but I feel like that return.
0: It's got to it's be one of the
1: larger ones we've talked about. Yeah, like,
0: for sure. And it's got to be up wow. there for horror movie, horror movies in general, when you adjust it for inflation.
1: Yeah. Too.
0: And, um, Shit. it's probably the most critically acclaimed and awarded horror movie of all time.
1: Yeah. Cause they did get, they did, you know, get Academy awards and everything.
0: So it's on multiple AFI 100 years, 100 movies lists. Wow. Um, the only, the only other movie that we've covered that's on those is the To Kill a Mockingbird. Right, yeah. Um, well, on one of those lists, they have a heroes and villains list and um, Clarice Starling was listed as number six all-time hero. Really? Yeah, all-time okay. hero. And um, Hannibal Lecter was number one on all-time <laughs> villains. I agree. Beating out like Darth Vader and stuff, other iconic
1: villains. I agree. I, st- um, I agree with that placement.
0: <laughs> but the most notable thing to me, and I didn't know this, was so it dominated the Oscars. It's one of only three movies ever to win the big five awards. It did not. It did. It won Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor for Anthony Hopkins, and Best Actress for Jodie Foster.
1: I didn't realize Jodie got Best Actress, yeah, too. Yeah, this was
0: actually her second um, Best Actress award, too. She, what was her first? She won one in 1988. I can't remember what movie it was for. But So this was, wow. it was pretty quick. She won both of these. The only other two movies to do that are It Happened One Night, which came out in 1934 and 1975's so One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest.
1: That's an amazing movie and it's an adapted screenplay.
0: Yeah. I so, want to cover that. So it, yeah, it swept Oscars, wow. which is crazy for a horror movie.
1: Yes. When but, you think about but it. But if you think about the way it's set up, it's very character driven. It's not like. Yeah. It's not a slasher. It's not a
0: gore. And it was. uh kind of touted as groundbreaking and, and a masterpiece right after it came out. I mean, I'm trying to think of another psychological thriller that, that is like this.
1: I know it's hard. And I can't.
0: It kind of makes sense because the book came out in 88 and I think the behavioral sciences stuff and the serial killer kind of stuff that was going on with the FBI was what late seventies when that was being developed.
1: I think it was, um, late sixties to early seventies.
0: Right. But it might, some of that might not have got out to the public. Like,
1: No, I don't think it was. So this might've been,
0: if not one of the first, maybe one of the most more well-known books on that subject yeah. at the time.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, Especially cause it takes a, a large part of it. And like I, within that unit. Yeah,
0: well, I'm trying to think of a, because I watched that movie and I can think of a lot of movies that are similar to it now mm-hmm. that, that have come out after it. That, yes. have that kind of kind of same like thriller kind of feel to it. Yes. And I'm struggling to think of one that prior to it.
1: Well, and even like of movies I can kind of think of that are thriller-based that have come out, they they still seem a little bit more story-driven, whereas this one was very much just diving deep into the character of Hannibal, of Buffalo Bill, and of Clary Starling. Like, very much... It's very
0: dependent on the the relationships between the characters. Yes,
1: which I think is... like you said, was a little groundbreaking at the time that that was the main focus and not. If you think about this movie and this book, you remember Hannibal Lecter and Clary Starling, Buffalo Bill, who is essentially the main villain. He's the one they are after. Doesn't get as much. Time, no, which is so unique because he and is. I don't think
0: people regard Buffalo Bill as the main villain. Of no, this movie,
1: but he. If you think about it, even he though, is. Even though
0: he is right, really, but but people think of Hannibal Lecter when they think exactly. of the Lambs, right?
1: So it's it's so unique in that sense that the person they're after really isn't getting yeah the the majority of the attention yeah. in it. Yeah,
0: it did face quite a bit of backlash from the LGBT community yeah. for the portrayal of. Buffalo Bill, the serial killer. So, in we'll get dig, dig into this a little bit more when we get into the comparisons. But he is playing someone who believes. It's, it's a little fuzzy. He thinks he's a transsexual, so he thinks he's trans. But it, in the book, it's clearly described that, and in the movie, I would say they they bring this up too that he's. He's not. He's not actually a transsexual. He's, he just or, thinks he is.
1: Well, tra- what well, we would call transgender now.
0: Sorry, Transgender.
1: Right. In the book, it's transsexual. Yeah. And like you said, when I first read that, like when they first brought it up, of like, oh, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh shit, I like this reaction. is stepping. Yeah. Like th- this might not age well until you have that interaction between Clarice and Lecter where she's like, He, he, he can't be transgender. Like he, he, they're, they're passive people. That's a
0: big plot point in the book and the movie too, is that at one point they go to the big three, um, institutions that perform like
1: sex reassignment,
0: reassignment surgery to like ask them, Hey, is there anybody that's come to you that that was clearly not within the normal, right. Um,
1: and it was, and there was, there's a large chunk where a doctor at John Hopkins in the book is saying like, I, d- I can't give you this information because you, you, what it's going to, it's going to get out into the yeah. public. People are going to yeah. think all transgender trend, trans, yeah. you know, people are, are murderers looking to make skin suits out of victims yeah. and it. I think the book addresses it a lot more outright than the movie does. Mm-hmm. We get that Definitely. scene. Yeah. So I think
0: So I the author was cognizant of it. Yes. I can see how it's tricky because it is. People don't often like like I can see somebody reading just watching the movie and having that perception. Right. Um and also it's nuanced in the book. And unfortunately a lot of times when things get to the mm-hmm. general public, all the nuance is stripped away from it. Yeah. Which, so I can see how any kind of relationship between being transgendered and that and being a serial killer and skinning woman and stuff would be,
1: Wildly would, would be
0: problematic for some people.
1: Yes. Well, and here's, here's the thing that in the book they describe the reasons behind Buffalo Bill's desire to become a woman that you don't get in the movie. And that is a part of his ritual in the book is that he watches this videotape of his mother and his mother passed away and he, you know, we'll get into his backstory a little bit, but essentially he's kind of obsessed with embodying his mother. Yeah. He even calls himself like mommy's going to be so beautiful. But, And that's part of it. That's that, that's what draws the line yes. of he doesn't, he doesn't feel himself to be a woman yeah. stuck in yeah. you know the wrong body. He is literally trying to become somebody else. Yeah. And Whereas and that's not the transgender experience. Right. I,
0: and I can see how that's problematic, but to be fair to the author, he did make it extremely clear in the book. He made it very clear. character was not transgendered.
1: I think in the movie, they could have gone a little bit more into why he was denied the sex reassignment because they talk about, and it's very interesting to read in the book, the lengthy psychological evaluation that goes into somebody who
0: I wonder how, then
1: you would call gender
0: dysphoria. I wonder how different that might be now though. This was a while ago. It's like I said almost well the book was written there is over 30 there years. There
1: is still a long process. I think there's a misconception today that especially small children who are saying I'm not a boy, I'm a girl or I'm not a girl, I'm a boy and parents are letting their children dress how they identify they're like they're too young to know. In order to get hormones, in order to even apply for, you know, reassignment surgeries, you have to go through and psychological evaluations and therapy and because it is under the psychology book, you know, it's listed there. It was, I think it might've been taken out under gender dysphoria. Hmm. So it's not, you wake up one day and say, I'm in the wrong body and you go out and you get estrogen or testosterone. I think reading the book and reading that, it was really interesting to hear about that process.
0: But on one, uh, it's hard for me because I, I I think that the way he handled it was done okay in the book, but because it's a group of of people who have so much misconception surrounding them already. I also, I also totally see the backlash and can understand the criticisms and I think he could have written that character a different way and made it just as compelling and not included that in there.
1: Right. Um, I think you could have, I mean,
0: it's 30 years later since that book Mm -hmm. came out and think, I mean, look how much is going on still, how much discussion and misconception is going on still
1: how much violence is acted toward.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Like I, that's what I, the backlash I think is warranted because those people have been persecuted violently and to then be associated with a violent nature I think and even though he,
0: even though it's not directly associated in the book, no. it is associated to the general public now.
1: Right, that nuance, like yeah. you said, is lost. Yeah.
0: So I can completely understand the frustrations of people who are transgendered,
1: even the fear at the time of it.
0: And yeah, and you know, I, I don't think that would fly now in a movie. I really don't like a movie coming out today. I just I don't think right. there's any way that would come out. There's right. no way. Um,
1: I agree. I think.
0: And part of that is because of the current political climate as well. Right. Um, but yeah, so I found that discussion or not that a discussion, but that the fact that that kind of controversy has so many parallels. Still to mm-hmm. Let's get into our comparison yes. now. Um,
1: yes, yes, yes. So how we begin at the beginning,
0: yeah.
1: which is very similar to the book. We begin at Quantico yeah. with Starling yes. being called into kind of her. She kind of idolizes, I think, Jack Crawford. She wants to well, work for him. It's the, made
0: very clear. She wants her goal is to work for the behavioral sciences unit. Yeah.
1: yeah. And so she's called in in the movie and he wants her to help with interviewing Lecter by filling out this questionnaire, which if you've watched Mindhunter, you know that there is like, they use a questionnaire. Yeah. Like,
0: they're just trying to profile serial killers. Yeah.
1: They're actually, trying to yeah. pro which it's interesting to see, you know, 30 years ago we see that questionnaire and then we have this new series today that Yeah. it's interesting to see like, Oh, they are kind of getting it very, very right. Well, I think
0: because both, both whoever made the Mindhunter show and um, Harris both did, clearly did their research of what actually was, what actually went into that process. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So where we start to differ a little bit is how they address the motives for the characters in the movie. So in the book, Clarice is told, we want you to go speak to Lecter. We don't think he's going to talk to you, but we think he could help with the Buffalo Bill case.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: In the movie, Crawford tells her, you know, just, just try to talk to him. We, We need to say we tried.
0: Yeah. And the Buffalo th- Bill stuff is actually comes more from Lecter.
1: Right. He initiates he, he that. that up. Yeah. He initiates it. Um, and you know, she gives him some information, very similar to the book there. I would say their interactions their um, their dialogue yeah. is very so, similar.
0: So yeah. So she goes, she talks to Crawford. He sends her to, um, the prison slash asylum and the meeting with That's where she meets Dr. Chilton
1: for the first time.
0: That's pretty similar. Although, so in the book it's made very clear that he's like making a pass at her basically and try mm-hmm. and he's very pissed off that she doesn't um, reciprocate. Yeah. And that she, you know, that she's professional and from there it kind of sets the tone of the relationship as very yeah. antagonistic where he's mm-hmm. basically just trying to like fuck her over the rest of the book.
1: Cause he wants information. He wants to be yeah. involved in the interviews and she says, you know, I think I should do it alone. Yeah, And he takes that as a slight In and the
0: movie that's kind of, brushed over a little bit. I mean, they still get there in the end, but I think it's not as clear. Uh, like right. The, the relationship isn't as well developed. Like
1: the realizations of these things, they get to it in the movie, but it, it takes more time.
0: Yeah. And I would say the motivations aren't quite as clear either.
1: Yeah. Those also take time to kind of yeah. unfurl. They get there, but it yeah. it's not as outright, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, the first interview with Lecter is a lot shorter in the movie mm. than in the Which makes sense. I book. mean,
0: one thing that, that they changed that I wasn't a huge fan of is, is that very aspect of the interviews between her and Lecter are much longer and much, I would say they get more personal and and have a deeper understanding of each other. than it seems a little more superficial in my opinion in the movie. I mean, it's still, they still have like a, a pretty open dialogue in the movie, Mm -hmm. but it's not quite this to the same level. In my opinion, it doesn't work quite as well for me. Um, yeah, they're more interconnected in, in the book. I would say
1: they begin in the book, like almost automatically with the, the quid pro quo, which isn't in the book. That phrase isn't that was added in the movie, but the idea it persists and they start earlier with that. You know, I'll tell you something, you tell me something. Mm -hmm. Um, but, the big, the big diversion, I think Lecter's character to begin with is very much as they describe. He's tall or he's short, he's pale. He's, he stands very still. And, Mm -hmm. um, but the first thing that went kind of arrive in the character and maybe the only time was when Clarice is leaving and this is in the book and the movie after her interview with Lecter. And she is, I would say assaulted by another inmate. he, is masturbating and throws said bodily fluids on her yeah and in the book Lecter is very like clarice please come back like very like yeah i'm very sorry this happened to you i'll be sure like very composed in the movie he screams at her and they are like having this really heated kind of yelling match like I'm sorry this happened. I'll make him pay and yeah. help me with blah, blah, blah. like, it was very um, yeah, dramatic. And,
0: and yeah. And the way he's portrayed in the book is much more even keel all the time. Well, they just like dis- in control is what he is all the time. So that, yeah. that was, I thought that was a little bit out of character. Um, well, I get why they did it. Yeah, it's more, it's more dramatic.
1: It's more dramatic. I mean, honestly, if I was her, I would be very visibly upset.
0: Yeah. Um, but even in the book, she reacts more coolly than she does. In the she movie She's too.
1: trying to prove something. Yes. Um, and prove that even though she is a woman in, you know, a male dominated field and a, a male only prison. Yeah. She's trying to keep it, you know, calm, cool and collected. I mean, a, a huge thing about Lecter is they say that when he murdered and ate his victims, his, his pulse never got above 65. Right. And so that sets the tone for yeah. his very literally cool, mannered mm-hmm. ways. That was the one character diversion that I thought didn't fit, but it was kind of the only one that I, I noticed yeah, with but,
0: Lecter. But similarly in response to that assault, he gives her like a lead on the Buffalo bill. Yes. Case. So in, in the movie it's slightly different because he sends Clarice to a storage garage where there's supposedly some evidence of connecting to the Buffalo Bill case. Yeah. And he sends her to a garage and it's his garage in the movie. In the book, it's one of his past patients storage garage. So they basically streamline the story. They cut out a character, Mm -hmm. um, which, and then in that storage garage, she finds like a limousine and inside the limousine is a head. Yeah. Human head preserved in alcohol or.
1: Yeah. So it's like a
0: preserved human head. Let's leave it at that. Yeah. Um, and it's not clear immediately how this connects to the Buffalo bill case. Um, so it's really similar. They just streamline it a little bit.
1: They take out a, a it doesn't really change. It doesn't that, really change the yeah. story
0: that much, honestly. No, it doesn't. Um, there are some aspects that it removes, but it, they're not big in my opinion.
1: And it helps make sense of the story. That like,
0: was one change that I actually thought was r- like a really good, yeah, r- really well done to streamline the story. You're
1: Right. Cause in the book, it is a little hard to follow at the beginning, like yeah. the, the players and
0: it who, didn't, rem- yeah. it didn't remove a lot, but it, it made it much simpler.
1: Yes, I agree.
0: Um, so they she finds this head, there's obviously, you know, the a big fur about it because there's another body. Um, yeah. But there's not immediately connected to Buffalo Bill. Cause there's no I mean it's a different It's a different it's, ML. Yeah, it's a different ML basically. And um so after that and they, this is where it differs a little bit more is they, they kind of rearrange things. They then show Senator Martin's daughter, Catherine getting abducted by Buffalo bill.
1: Right. They show that much earlier in the movie than it's brought up in the book.
0: Yeah. Because in
1: the book they go to, um, West Virginia to autopsy a
0: body one of the first. Buffalo bills victims, victims. First. Yeah. and that happens but they just rearrange it
1: they rearrange it which, which I, mean, I think
0: makes sense because because if they hadn't done that they wouldn't introduce the sender and that storyline until ah, probably over halfway into the movie right so they want to build up that suspense
1: yeah a little bit and more. that's the catalyst for the the countdown to find Buffalo Bill
0: exactly so then it's because of the senator's daughter, he didn't know he was abducting a senator's daughter. He, no. It was just somebody he saw and, and it fit his profile, so yeah. he abducted her. And uh, so now there's a huge nationwide manhunt going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this really puts the Buffalo Bill case even more into the public conscious right. in the movie and is a huge story on the news. And so now there's public pressure to immediately find Buffalo right. Bill and save the senator's daughter, basically. So that kicks that off. And and then
1: they find the fifth the sixth body
0: yes and then they find the sixth body in west virginia and she goes to fingerprint
1: they did they don't make it as clear in the movie why she is so involved because she is a student, yeah. she, it's not common, whereas in the book it's described that she worked in a lab, um fingerprinting essentially difficult bodies, like missing persons, yeah, in rivers, and that there is a specific process, so that's, they thought, hey, bring her along, but they just kind of make it seem like a little bit more natural that she's pulled out of her classes yeah, and
0: they don't make a big work. deal out of it as they do in the book and that's one thing they did that I didn't like actually because I think. The character so well. I, she's in the book. Is made clear that she's very intelligent and she's got skills that will directly help with the right. case. Yes, and that nobody else can, right there can do yeah. as well as she can. And I think that it it made, did it a little disservice to the character of Clarice. Mm-hmm. in the movie that they kind of took some of that away.
1: They did a little bit where she was very much impressive to all of her instructors yeah. and that she had the set that made her important to the investigation because they were short staffed and yeah. they were spread thin. Whereas they just make it seem like, well, Crawford knows she wants to work for him. So maybe she, he's like testing her. It felt more like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with, I agree with that. Um, yeah, that kind of analysis. This a is, bit.
0: Uh, but, but importantly, this is the same in the book. This is where they find the moth in the, mm-hmm. the, the victim's, victim's throat. throat. Mm-hmm. And then they find the moth in the throat of the head they found in the limousine. Yes. So they realize both of these people were killed by Buffalo Bill. Despite so the difference. His, d- yeah. Despite the difference in MO because of that. And so, and they then go to the Smithsonian, which is similar in the book, and talk to two um, experts on on moths. They streamline this scene, too. Streamline this a lot. Um,
1: they basically find out right away what genus it is. Yeah, and they
0: just like look at it and like, oh, yeah, this is this moth and from this area in Asia and shit. And I mean, they always, movies always fuck up science and it's a really a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> Yeah, because it, in the book they do a much better job because it takes them a while. They, they've they got to like do to, research yes. and like, all right, they've got to like look at different parts of the insect and narrow it down over time, and it takes them a while. Yeah, to figure out what it is. Like it's not an instantaneous, oh, this is this kind of thing. So it's a little yeah. more realistically done in the book. Um, obviously, it's a movie, so you've got to
1: got time constraint. Streamline certain yeah. things.
0: I get it, but it did annoy me a little bit. They also made the the two scientists like
1: way creepier way
0: creepier than they needed to and i'm
1: like just because you like bugs doesn't make well, you inherently creepy
0: in the book one of them is like a love interest of hers
1: yeah they end up being and like they together that, they make
0: that dude like super creepy. creepy they
1: they just make him a little bit more um
0: they don't even make him awkward they just make him kind of creepy
1: they make it's and maybe this is them playing into too because we talked about this that the kind of sexism is much more apparent in the movie than it is in the book. Like it's, it's played up a little bit more. Sexism
0: is in the book for sure, but I would say it's more subtle than, than what they portray.
1: And, and, and they, and I did really enjoy this scene in the book and they have it in the movie where Jack Crawford's talking to these small town cops and he's like, you know, maybe we shouldn't talk about this in front of a woman, these, these types of sex crimes. yeah, And they have a conversation where he tells her, you know, I was just trying to level like, I, I, I don't believe in that. And she's like, it matters. They look to you to see how to act. I appreciated that because even today people still look for sure to, to men, to how to act towards women. So I appreciated that. And they kept that in the movie. But, um, yeah, the sexism was a little bit more like at every turn, Chilton wants to take her out. You know, this, this doctor, this student Mm at the Smithsonian wants to take her out. Like, she's basically being, they think used as a pawn to turn on lector. It's yeah. much more, um,
0: and it's definitely, blatant. there. it's definitely there in the book, but it's yeah. more blatant it amongst all that going on as well. Basically, and this is made more clear in the book for sure. So Clarice is getting somewhere with lector in the book, getting information about Buffalo bill mm-hmm. that would, would have gotten them to find his location much quicker and save Catherine's life. Yes. Okay. Um and then Chilton comes in and realizes what's going on and completely fucks up that relationship. Yep. And goes directly to the Senator and tries to make a deal basically that would put him in the spotlight. Yeah. So he gets all the credit um for Lecter coming forward with the information. Basically he's like an egomaniac. Yeah. Um so that's the same in the movie. They don't make it as clear um kind of how much that fucks up their plans, I would say. Right. Um, it uh, basically they, they, kicks they, them off the they case. Jack and, and Clarice, yeah, kind of puts them to the sideline. Um, and the senator thinks it's the best thing for the case, basically, or for best thing to find, find her daughter is to make this deal. So clearly they work
1: directly with Lecter. They know
0: Lecter has information because of the, the the moth in the throat. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, he knows more than he's getting on. We need to get the information. So they make a deal with him to transfer him to a different um institution in Tennessee and they fly him there and he meets with the senator. So this is all very similar there. Yes. Um
1: the information he gives them is false and wrong. Right. Because they underestimate his motive, which is he knows that being in transport leaves people susceptible to him yeah. escaping. Yeah. So he the sees the guy, it as an escape the attempt.
0: Who, the guy who cares for him every day or not cares for him but watches him every day, Barney. Yeah. Is right? Barney. Barney, Yeah. I love Barney. Barney is like really fucking good at his job and knows how to handle Lecter. And Lecter knows if he can get away from him. I mean, he likes Barney actually. He's got a respect for Barney. Barney, Because Barney treated him well. Barney
1: treated him well and with respect. It's
0: a really interesting character. And
1: he's trained in this where he's being kind of handed off to these kind of beat cops. Yeah. And they don't understand kind of the complexity that is Dr. Lecter.
0: That's the really interesting thing about Hannibal Lecter as a character is he is this monster, but he's also got, he's got
1: a code of ethics,
0: some kind of weird fucked up code of ethics and and prizes being like his version of civilized. I would Mm -hmm. say from the point where he gets to Memphis, his interaction with the Senator in the movie is pretty different. I would say that it's not as drawn out and, and,
1: uh, he's definitely much more menacing
0: in the movie, in the
1: movie, because you know, he, there is a scene where he asks like, did you breastfeed her? That's in the book. But then he he talks about just, he takes it to a place that is, is pretty brutal for the Senator to hear. He does,
0: which is, which is different than the book. Yeah. Um, long story short, he, he ends up escaping. They take him to a court, old courthouse in a Mm -hmm. makeshift cell and he ends up escaping. And this is all really similar to the book. Um, dissimilar to the book is we don't really see what he, what happens to him after that. Um, until right. the very end, they go in, into in the, book, more he, in the book. In the book, he just goes, escapes, drives to St. Louis and is holed up in a hotel trying to change his appearance. And that's yeah. really the end of him in the story. Once he escapes, it, he doesn't really have anything else to do with it. What
1: yeah. he does do before he escapes is Clarice visits him yes. unauthorized yeah. and she, he gives her back the case file. Yes. And she sees a note about the locations of the women about them. Don't these random sites seem almost too random. Yes. That's his one last clue that he gives her. And that leads her to f- discovering the first victim and how she is connected to she discovers Buffalo bill. However, it's interesting because the Jack Crawford and his team also get the information. They get the same person. They know it's Jane gum, but his last known address is in Chicago,
0: but they get this information from the um, John Hopkins, um, right? Transgender like uh, op ward or whatever they yes. call that their operation. Yes. Um. So he that that tidbit from Lecter did help out because he told them to look into
1: the transgender the transgender institute. facilities, yeah, the facilities. Um.
0: But she finds out. She finds it by yeah by basically figuring out the first victim with somebody he knew and close to where he lived and the rest were really random because he was trying to throw off the scent yeah. of the cops. So then she goes to, um, Ohio, Ohio to, to this town where the first victim is from is trying to track down where he might be basically
1: how, how they might be connected. Yeah. I don't think she, cause Jack calls and says his last known address is in Chicago. We yeah. think he's there. So she's not necessarily looking to encounter Buffalo bill. Right. But she's, she's trying to
0: get information that connects him to the, to James, James gum, the guy to, that, that the, his going, first to victim. the first victim. Right. And throughout that, through that search, she ends up at the home, of James gum where he's currently staying and where um, Catherine, Catherine is. is, he's holding Catherine and that's the whole big final sequence. And that's
1: very similar. And book and
0: Yeah. It, where
1: he's got the night vision goggles. Yeah. Um, he turns off all the lights and when he cocks his gun, she's able to locate him
0: and, yeah, and shoots him, shoots
1: him dead, yep. single-handedly saves
0: Catherine. So she's the ends up being the hero. So all that's very similar. Um, so there are a lot of things in the, and then at the end there's a slightly different because Hannibal is shown in a different country changed appearance and he calls her, he's, he calls her instead of writing her a letter. The
1: most infamous line in the movie is have the lambs stop screaming.
0: Yeah. Well, that's in the book too. Yeah. Um, which is tense the title silence of the lambs, which yeah. I didn't get. I didn't somehow didn't when pick I, up on that. When
1: I first watched the movie, I was like, what's the significance of the silence of the lambs? And then I was like, Oh, because they talk about that yeah. fear that she's trying to silence. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's something from her childhood that we, I don't think we have enough time to go into. No. And it's not really a big part of it, but, but it's interesting. So, but a little bit different is he's actively hunting down, um, Chilton, Chilton, yeah. In the movie, he's it's having, implied he's going to do it in the book, but yeah. it's not like he is in the same spot as. Chilton he literally
1: says, "I'm having a friend for dinner." <laughs> yeah,
0: I, I, love, I, I love, love that, that line. Yeah. So,
1: I love that line. But it also it changes a little bit because um, Starling is supposed to be kind of a first year student in the book. Yeah. But the the movie ends with her getting her special agent badge and she's graduating. Well,
0: I think. That it was said in somewhere in the book that she she wasn't far off from getting her badge. I don't
1: right, but she was threatened to be recycled, which right. means she would have to start the whole process over yeah. again.
0: Let's quickly go into some of the big differences that that we we weren't didn't cover throughout. I think the biggest one for me, and maybe the dis, most disappointing aspect of the movie for me, that I think they really they really should have just added time to it. Made, I know it was a, already a two-hour movie, but they should have added more. Was the relationship with Jack Crawford because I feel like that yeah. was such. The, the, the juxtaposition of the relationship between Jack and Clarice and Clarice and Hannibal is mm-hmm. the most interesting part of the book for me. Yeah. Because there are these two guys who have a huge influence on her in very different ways. Right. And you kind of lose Jack's side of it a little bit in the, she in the movie. She seems
1: much more like self-directed in the movie. Yeah. Like she's deciding that yeah. she's going to go see Lecter again yeah. when in reality, everything she does is planned out with Crawford like they're they're working together on it whereas and she seems a little bit more like a pawn
0: they keep some things in but their relationship is much more well developed in the movie yes and, and Jack gets a lot more of the the kind of the the story is directed at him. right and, and there's like a whole subplot in the in the book where his wife is dying and ends up dying in the book mm-hmm. that plays into it as well that they cut out.
1: And that's why he needs kind of this help yeah. from Clarice yeah. is he knows that he, he needs to be with his wife, but he also knows the urgency situation. And it's of the having situation. a huge
0: effect on him. He's described as being like really gaunt. Very and, like, ill he himself. Of, he doesn't get a lot of sleep. No. Um, Cause he's taking care of his wife at night and stuff like that. So that whole thing was taken out. And I think that their relationship wasn't quite as well developed, which uh, yeah, that was my, maybe my biggest problem yeah. with it. And, and granted, I mean, it's a great movie and I think it's a good adaptation. Right. I think they, they kept with the, the major plot points yeah. and did a pretty good job streamlining it. But I do think that that was, that was my major, my one big gripe with it. I
1: would say, yeah, it's interesting. Cause like you said, they didn't make her seem as advanced and intelligent in the no. movie, but yet she was much more, um, in control, of like what she was doing yeah. with their time. Well, that's a weird, it, that, it didn't it, like it.
0: The weird thing it made is, her more
1: of the hero, but they made her feel, I don't know if they were trying to make her relatable. And like she is, she is still a student and she is still naive, but yet she still is given a, a, a little bit more control than in the book.
0: Well, the weird thing is, is they make her. And I guess maybe they were doing this because she was a student or something and they wanted to make that more apparent because in the book it's made much a bigger deal that she's a student going out, and working on this case because it's not usual and she's missing classes and
1: she's losing sleep and she's and
0: like, so it's not a usual thing that a student would be going to do. So it's a big deal in the book that this is happening. And there's a lot of issues that come up because of that. that don't come up in the movie, but also in the book she does have certain skills that she doesn't have in the movie that are very valuable to her helping in the case. So it kind of makes more sense that she's being sent out by Jack. I mean, brought along by Jack. I mean, those skills plus her relationship with Hannibal. Cause nobody, Hannibal wouldn't talk to anybody, to anybody else basically. Yeah. Um, so those two things were slightly different too. Uh, and I think those are the main differences for me. Yeah. And those are the ones that the rest, there are other differences I didn't have a big problem with cause I think they were done for streamlining purpose. I think all of them probably were done for streamlining yeah, purposes, I agree. but the other differences I didn't have a big problem with. I thought they were pretty good, but those yeah. two, I think took something away from the story yeah. that, something valuable away from this. And like I we think. said, this
1: is like very character driven. Yeah. So to kind of miss out on that relationship with Jack yeah. takes out some of that relationship and those connections. Mm-hmm. So but overall I loved the book. I think it does a better job at explaining some of those more controversial topics yeah. um and addressing them better. Yeah. Than the movie. But I think that the performances in the movie were also phenomenal.
0: Oh, yeah, definitely. The acting, mean, acting, was inc-
1: the directing. I mean, Although there's I would, so many iconic scenes like that I come I said, out of that movie.
0: Would, anybody who's a fan of this movie, I would go watch the Hannibal TV show.
1: Yeah, I would, I'm want. i going to watch it now. I yeah,
0: need to watch I'm curious it. to hear other people's opinions on Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal.
1: Yeah, because so, Anthony Hopkins... If you have those opinions, let us know. Let us
0: know on, on social or email us.
1: Yeah, because I, I haven't seen that portrayal, but I...
0: I am, love it. It's a great show. I'm
1: a pretty big fan of Anthony Hopkins. He does... He does creepy.
0: I'm not taking anything away really from Anthony well. Hopkins, right? I, he would. He did a really great job. I just think Mads Mickelson's portrayal is a little bit closer to the book for me.
1: Okay, I I see. I I,
0: like, I love both of them. I yeah. love both portrayals. But well, I, let us
1: know who yeah. who is the superior Hannibal the Cannibal. It's
0: close. It's very Mads pl- Mickelson. It's very very close.
1: Anthony Hopkins. We'll do a and poll. To be
0: fair to Anthony Hopkins the obviously the show has more time to develop the character exactly but also the other two movies the Hannibal movies that Anthony Hopkins was in were not well received so
1: uh, yeah I have not heard good things about no, the
0: follow-ups apparently Hannibal Red Dragon and Hannibal Rising were not very good
1: yeah I heard so. that too well like we said if you have any input or opinions on this we would love to hear them yeah. we'd love to read some out if we could get people to write into us about For sure. their thoughts on these adaptations. So do you want to um, do the, uh, yes, before we do that, let's get into rotten tomatoes and Goodreads. So let's start with Goodreads.
0: I'm going to guess.
1: What do you think the sequel got?
0: I'm going to guess silence of the lambs has like, I really liked this book. I'm going to say like a 4.6. Very close. 4.18. That wasn't that close then.
1: I mean, it's a point.
0: Yeah. 4.18 okay
1: I mean I I think I would have definitely gone close to five stars I think that's it's one really of the great.
0: higher rated books we've done yeah it. we it's should up keep there. A tab- I don't know if we've got like a list
1: I have them in my notes I should okay. go back and yeah, I think that's keep one a of the list. higher rated ones yeah. we've yeah but yeah uh pretty like we said critically really well received obviously I think this book for some people might be a bit much yeah. it's very can be very disturbing sure but I like I said I'm a big fan of it all right what oh my turn okay
0: um, audience and critics.
1: Audience, hell, it brought in over two hundred million dollars. People obviously loved this movie. And this was at a time where you had to see it in theaters if yeah. you wanted to see it again. I'm gonna say audience was a ninety two and I'm gonna say
0: critics are a ninety seven. Very, very close for <gasps> really ninety five audience. Woo! Ninety six critics.
1: Yay! Finally I we've been in a slump of critics being lower than audience. We're back up. Yeah. Wow, that's really impressive especially for like a horror thriller movie
0: Mm -hmm. yeah
1: hell yeah but yeah if you guys have any um input suggestions anything like that uh you can follow us and connect with us on social media so we're at source material pod on facebook and instagram at source matt pod on twitter And then you can send in any suggestions to source material pod at gmail.com.
0: Yeah. We'd love to do some more listener suggestions. We
1: would. We do have one more episode coming out for this kind of spooktober series. It'll be a footnotes to this episode and we're switching it up.
0: You're switching it up.
1: I've been doing some research into kind of the inspiration behind the characters in this book. And so I'm going to try a, a a solo hosting
0: footnotes format. I'm excited to listen to it. Uh,
1: Yeah, I haven't showed you anything on it. This will be the
0: first one I'll be able to listen to without...
1: Without knowing. Without
0: knowing anything. Yeah. So I'm curious to see how it goes. I'm
1: hoping it'll be like a very produced, kind of a little bit more scripted, informational. If you like true crime, I think this will be right up your alley. Um, so that'll be coming out the Thursday after this, this cool. one comes
0: out. Also, uh, leave us a review, please.
1: Yes. Um, well, RIP iTunes, that's gone, but there's still the Apple podcasts. Yeah, Apple
0: Podcast is still there. So, so if you, you enjoy the podcast, rate and review anyone? us, if you don't enjoy the podcast, maybe just don't, don't <laughs> bother. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if you can't say anything nice, just like, don't say anything at all.
0: Um, but, well uh, yeah, uh, we got some exciting stuff coming up. I don't think yes. we'll wait to tell you, but. We'll we're, have an announcement. We're, excited, so. we're very excited. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Until for listening. next time.
1: Until next time.